Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. Praise God. Let's jump right into it. We're going to do a little bit of review. So go to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to do some review and go to some new territory tonight. And so I encourage you that if you miss any part of this series, we always make it available for you to fr for free. It's on our Faith Plus app. You'll find it in the No Longer Mere Mortal series. It's also on our YouTube channel. And so we're going to do a brief, quick review because some of these things we've been talking about now for almost two months. And we're going to jump into some new territory tonight. So Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Come on, say it out loud and put it in the chat. If you're watching this morning, where there's a chat option. Say, have dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. As we said before, that phrase have dominion means to rule. It means to subjugate. That phrase have dominion means to rule and it means to subjugate. That word rule means to exercise ultimate power and authority over. Once again, the word rule means to exercise ultimate power and authority over. That word subjugate means to bring under domination or control. The word subjugate means to bring under domination or control. The word subdue means to bring into subjection and keep under. The word subdue means to bring into subjection and keep under. Now go to the next chapter, Genesis 2.15. Once again, we're speeding through this because it's a review. And I encourage you, if you miss any of the series, watch it on the Faith Plus app in the on-demand section or our YouTube channel. Genesis 2.15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Remember, the word tend means to cultivate or work. The word tend means to cultivate that garden or to work it. The word keep means to guard and care for. The word keep means to guard and care for. We said the original assignment was to cultivate and guard what they had been given and to expand their dominion over the entire planet. They were given dominion over the ground itself and all the things in the air as well. If you do not operate in dominion in your original assignment, you'll not be able to expand the areas of your dominion. Your authority is not random. It is connected to your assignment. Your assignment has expansion potential. However, you must use your authority and cultivate and guard what you have been given. So we said it this way. You must rule. You must subjugate. You must cultivate and you must guard. So say it with me. and Let's put it in the chat. Say you must rule. You must subjugate. You must cultivate and you must guard. So say it with me. It's put in the chat. Say you must rule. You must subjugate. You must cultivate and you must guard. You're able to do all these things through the authority that's been delegated to you. In the same way Adam was given authority, you have been given authority by Jesus. So let's go to Ephesians chapter one once again. A little bit more review. 
since we're talking about dealing with supervillains and talking about spiritual warfare, we want to make sure we have the right mindset when you go into spiritual warfare. Because some people get, you know, like a phrase that I heard Dad Hagen and many others use that, you know, and it comes to different spiritual topics in the Bible. There's the middle of the road and there's a ditch on either side of the road. And people often love to be ditch dwellers and love to dwell in the ditch. But when you stay with the word of God, it'll keep you in the middle of the road. And when it concerns spiritual warfare, we need to make sure we stay in the middle of the road and we understand what the word of God says about it and have the right mentality. And part of that mentality is God has given us the victory. And part of that mentality is what we see here in Ephesians chapter one. We'll pick up with verse 20. It says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. We defined all those terms last week. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. And so we looked at those terms and remember that if Jesus has been exalted above that and God put everything under his feet, the body, we are the body of Christ. So everything has been placed under our feet. Ephesians chapter two, verse one continues. It says, you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And we said the word prince means the first or chief place. Power means delegated authority and air is the atmospheric region. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So remember, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, remember you are seated with Christ. Don't forget that. Come on, say, don't forget that. Don't forget you are seated with Christ. Go ahead, put it in the chat and say it out loud. Say, I will not forget that I'm seated with Christ. Go ahead, put it, say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say, I will not forget that I'm seated with Christ. One more time. Say, I will not forget that I'm seated with Christ. Now let's go to chapter six, a tad bit more review, and we'll get into some more territory tonight. Ephesians chapter six. Verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice against the six times. Just let me know this is face to face daily combat. It is a daily battle. It is something that you deal with on a regular basis, whether you realize you're dealing with it or not. The word wiles, as we talked about before, means cunning arts, deceit, craft and trickery. We said the word wiles means cunning arts, deceit, craft, and trickery. The word wrestle refers to hand-to-hand -hand combat. The word wrestle means hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is a face-to-face -face battle that you're in all the time, whether you realize it or not. Remember, as we emphasized last week, and we always need this reminder, your enemy is not flesh and blood. Your enemy is not human. Your enemy is not people. Whatever people group that you think you have an issue with, you need to let go of that issue because they're not your enemy. They're not your real opponent. Do not forget who your enemy really is. Come on, let's put it in the chat and say it out loud. Say, I will not forget 
who my enemy really is. Say, I will not forget who my enemy really is. Let's say it out loud. Let's put it in the chat. Say, I will not forget who my enemy really is. One more time, bonus time. Say, I will not forget who my enemy really is. And so this word ruler means a world ruler also can denote a highly organized disciplined military force. And the word wickedness means bad, vile, vicious, and malignant. And so we see what the enemy wants to do in your life. But you have to know that you have the authority, you have the victory, and you've been seated higher. And you have to remember, people are not your enemy. So now let's get into some new territory. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Let's look how Jesus dealt with the enemy's attack. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. The word tempt means to entice to sin. The word tempt means to be enticed to sin. Being tempted is not a sin. Giving in and acting on that temptation is. So Satan came and for 40 days tempted Jesus for 40 days was enticing him to sin. When Matthew 4, 3 tells of this time, it directly calls Satan the tempter. And so when we see that's one of his titles, we should understand that when he comes against the spiritual warfare, there's temptation attached to his tactics. He is a tempter. He wants to entice you to sin. That is what he does. Jesus even said he has sinned from the beginning. Satan is the tempter. And he wants to entice you to sin. But I want to remind you something about temptation because we get religiously squirrely on this topic, even though the Bible is very clear on it. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. We'll go back to Luke 4 in a moment. Go with me to James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. God is not tempting anyone. Remember who the tempter is, Satan. And what does he try to tempt you with? Things that you're inter interested in, things that you like, things that you desire, things that are around you. So something that tempts you may not tempt somebody else you know. Satan has a strategy. Remember, he has an army full of demons. And they have strategies to tempt individual people. And so we see in Luke 4, Satan himself is tempting Jesus with a strategy with things that appeal to him. Because if it's not a temptation to you, if it's not something you'd be interested in or desire to, it's not a temptation. It's not. But he's tempting Jesus with things that would entice Jesus. He's trying to entice Jesus to sin. He's trying to entice Jesus to walk away from the plan of God and stop Jesus from doing what God told him to do. And Satan tries to do the same thing. His army tries to do the same thing in your life. So back to Luke chapter 4, verse 2. And in those days he ate nothing. And after when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, 
it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Notice Satan was bringing temptations to Jesus for different reasons why it would entice Jesus to act upon it. And notice even the last temptation we see recorded here is that he tried to make it very religious and tried to give a scriptural reason why Jesus should do this or act upon this. But everything Satan was asking Jesus to do was a violation of what God told Jesus to do. It's a violation of the word of God. And so Satan is trying to tempt Jesus. Now notice Jesus on assignment. Jesus has fasted 40 days. He's in a physically weakened state. But Satan comes to tempt him. And notice after Jesus resisted him and had the victory, Satan left him for a while. But it says to come back, one says for a season. Here it says until opportune time. Why? He's looking for his next window to tempt. Because he understands not every window is a day to tempt. So he's looking to get this temptation in there to entice a person to sin. This is his strategy. This is what he does. But let's look at how Jesus defeated Satan's strategy of temptation. What did he say? It is written. What do you say? It is written. Now, the thing is to say it is written, you need to read it so you know what is written. So that means that Jesus, even though he's the son of God, he's God himself, was in the word, even though he is the word himself. So that he was able to speak, it is written. The only way you're going to resist temptations effectively in this day is to actually be in your word of God, in your word on a regular basis and understanding what the Bible is saying to you, what the Bible promises you, the Bible's instructions to you. And so when temptation comes, you can reply, it is written. Say, no, I'm not going to do that because this is what the Bible says. No, I'm not going to do that. This is what the Bible says. This is how you face temptation, tempting thoughts, tempting spirits, tempting situations. Say, no, I'm not going to do it this because this is what the Bible says. This is how you deal with temptation. And notice I said before, temptation often comes. And like he says, Satan looks for the opportune time to tempt. So he's not always trying to tempt you when you're your strongest. He may try that way, but he wants to tempt you when you're in a weakened state, in a day where you will give in to the temptation or try to tempt you the same way again and 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 guess what a thousand more agains to hopefully weaken your resistance so one day that you give in and you are acting upon that temptation and that you sin it's part of his strategy 
Let's go to Mark chapter 4 and look more about the strategy. And if you've been at faith for any period of time, you've heard us talk about Mark chapter 4 and the five tactics of the devil that Jesus reveals here in Mark chapter 4. We did a whole series on it. We've actually done several series on it. The one we did last time was uh, last year, I believe. It's called Battle Strategies from Heaven. We did a number of week series on it and we did a daily devotional on it that's available on our app as well. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Notice what Jesus says when he's interpreting the parable. Mark chapter 4 is the most important parable. Jesus says, but when you understand this parable, you'll be able to understand the other parables. This is a key parable. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. And he, Jesus, said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, so endure only for a time. After it when tribulation, the King James says affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So let's break down parts of this verse here. Tribulation or affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. So what is tribulation or affliction? Come on, put it in the chat. Say it is pressure brought by circumstance. What is tribulation or affliction? Put it in the chat. It is pressure brought by circumstance. Once again, what is tribulation or affliction? It is pressure brought by circumstance. Then he says persecution. What is persecution? It is pressure brought by people. Persecution is pressure brought by people. What is persecution? Put it in the chat. It is pressure brought by people. What is persecution? It is pressure brought by people. Now notice about pressure. You can measure pressure. There's different sciences to measure pressure. So there can be a little bit of pressure and there can be a lot of pressure. So that means tribulation or affliction or persecution have ranges of pressure that can be applied depending on the situation. But notice Satan's tactics here. It says, remember, he comes immediately to steal the word. That's still the word you've heard, to steal the word that you're acting on, to steal God's command for your life, his direction for your life. He is challenging that. And so he comes with pressure, pressure in the form of a circumstance, pressure in the form of people not doing right by you. He'll bring pressure against you. Why? So that you stumble. The King James says, offend. That word stumble or offended means enticed to sin. It means to cause to fall away. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Let me give you that definition one more time for to be to stumble or to be offended. It means to be enticed to sin. That's temptation again. You see that? It means to cause to fall away. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. One more time. It means to be enticed to sin. It means to cause to fall away. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. So in the midst of the pressure, Satan brings his temptation. I want you to see that. The attack is not just the circumstance or the people acting crazy. Inside the attack, is a temptation. And what is the temptation? Getting you to let go of the word you've heard. To let go of the word just you're standing on or acting on. To let go of what God said to you. 
And that tack is to make you let go of the word and walk away from God and walk away his plan for your life. He's tempting you. He's enticing you to sin in the midst of the pressure. And so what happens is the focus is on the pressure. But what we don't realize is the temptation comes in the thought life. The temptation comes in whatever is also going on at the same time. And so you have to realize that it's an attack. It's a stack attack. That's what Pastor Michelle likes to call it. It's a stack attack. It's multiple things at once. But I want to remind you something. I read this verse to you on Sunday. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll bounce back here in a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation or with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it or go through it or endure it. So every time Satan tempts, he's limited. He's not all powerful. Satan's not all powerful. Every temptation he has is limited. He cannot tempt you beyond what you can handle. He's, he can't do it. And with every temptation, it says God is faithful. He makes sure you have a way to escape the temptation. Jesus had a way of escape and so do you. So let's say it with me and put it in the chat. Say God has provided a way of escape. Say it out loud and put it in the chat with me. Say God has provided a way of escape. One more time. Say God has provided a way of escape. Well, why has God provided a way of escape? He is faithful. In the midst of the circumstance, in the midst of the pressure brought by people, in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of your storm, we'll get into that next week. In the midst of your storm, God is still faithful and he always provides a way of escape. Praise God. So let's go back to Mark. Well, I'll mention Mark 4 verse 6 because it's Satan's end goal. Because when Jesus is translating this parable, originally he said in Mark 4, 6, that about when the sun was come up, it was scorched. He's comparing the pressure of the affliction and the persecution to the sun in the Middle East scorching something. That, but when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root and it withered away. Satan's goal is to scorch the production of the word of God in your life. So when he's done, it doesn't look like you received the word in the first place. That's his goal. That's why he brings the pressure and in the pressure, there's temptation. Notice this is something Paul was concerned about with the churches in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, you can say today, or Thessalonica. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he's writing to them. And Paul wrote this letter to them weeks after, maybe even up to a couple months after, he had just ministered there. He had to go to the next city for different situations, attacks coming against them. And he's writing to them. And so notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. All of these are new converts. These are new believers. They, you know, they haven't been saved for years. These are baby Christians. These are baby believers. And notice what it said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Now, appointed to this. Why do we know we're appointed to affliction? Or I'm not trying to say destined to this. Now, don't take it. Or say, oh, I'm disappointed to trouble. No, 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 no. Why are we appointed or destined to this? Or another translation, this is what happens to us. Why? Mark chapter 4. Satan comes for the word. So we know 
Eventually, pressure is going to show up. Trouble is going to show up. Doesn't mean it's that day. Eventually, it will because we know we live in this fallen world. We know the enemy has a strategy and we know he comes for the word. So don't go, oh, bad things come in threes. Get that out of your head. Don't be a person of despair. Just know challenges come with life. Trouble and pressure comes in life. But guess what? You have the victory and you've been seated with Christ and people are not your real enemy. And so Paul's concerned about this baby church that he just started. And he says, to establish you, courage, establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions.